0: So let's look at Ephesians 6 and let's sort of get this in front of us as a uh, sort of a foundational thoughts of where we want to kind of base from. So look, look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. And if you got your device, just grab it and let's just look at it. I'm in New King James. Uh, verse 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful at this very end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." So Paul, he's using a metaphor. Obviously, he's he's using this, this picture of uh, what a, what a actually what a Roman soldier looks like. He, he's he's speaking. He's writing from a Roman jail, so he's looking at a Roman soldier, and he's going through the components of the guy's outfit, and he's drawing metaphorically from each of the components of the guy's outfit, and he's giving them to us as you know what's what's called the armor of God. The armor of God really, it's just it's kingdom foundations, foundational truths of the kingdom that we're supposed to apply in our lives in order to do two things. And he says it right there in order to stand against the wiles of the enemy, and in order to stand in the evil day. He actually he he differentiates there's two things. He goes, we're wrestling against demons. and I'm going to break that down just a second. He goes, we're wrestling against demons. He goes, put on this armor that you'll be able to wrestle against them. He goes, that you'll stand against all the wiles of the devil and stand in the evil day. So the wiles, that's the deceptive tricks of the enemy, the, the way the enemy tries to deceive us and to draw us into his will and away from God's will. That's ultimately what that is, the wiles of the enemies it's his it's craftiness and his deceptions and then the evil day with to be able to withstand in the evil day the evil day Paul's referring to is at the end of the age it's 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 something he develops through the book of ephesians and through his other letters to the churches but it's it's the the evil day of uh, at the end of the age when the spirit of antichrist earth and um and 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 many Dynamic and negative things are happening along with many powerful things. And so he's saying, here's the, here's what you need is you need these kingdom foundations to be able to stand. And he goes, and what you're going to be wrestling with. And he, he goes, it's demons. And, and he gives us four different. Um, I would say it's four different levels of demonic authority and he says there are principalities, there's powers, there's rulers of darkness, and there's hosts of wickedness. And, and rather than trying to get into breaking down exactly what that is, he actually describes um, this very setup earlier in the book of Ephesians, and he also describes it in, in the book of Colossians. That And this is just something for us to get our minds around, that there is a heavenly hierarchy— of demonic and angelic ranks okay and so there's these just like in any any nation just like uh in in the united states there's seats of, of governing and authority there's there's local principalities municipalities there's state then there's there's national you know so there's these these striations of of authorities well that's what's going on here and that's what Paul's describing that there's this heavenly infrastructure. It's really quite fascinating that there's a heavenly infrastructure that is, uh, it's occupied by, uh, either angelic or demonic rulers. And that's what he's, that's what he's telling us there. And that when we're, when we're fighting spiritual battles, we're fighting against these, um, These uh, these demonic rulers that are in these these heavenly places. And so what he's going to give us. Is a prescription of uh, the kingdom foundations that we need in order to offset the activities, the wiles of the devil, and that we'd be able to stand in the evil days. One thing I'll just mention this, and this is not a particularly a biblical idea but it's something that i've seen for sure um when it comes to demonic authorities in regions is that just a simple rule of thumb demons they love to manifest they they want to manifest themselves they want to give personality they want to they want to show themselves off um you know uh, uh, it's interesting because you tend to think that uh well, like if a spirit of fear wants to make somebody act fearful, you know, a spirit of fear isn't a big, scary demon. It's a, it's a, it's a fearful demon. It wants to express itself. I it's bound by a spirit of fear would be acting fearfully. Well, you see this in individuals, that, that, that uh, personification of the demonic that comes through people, even people manifest, but you see it in regions. And um, so in, in, In our city, for instance, uh, the City Magazine, uh, the Atlanta City Magazine, is called Jezebel. (laughs) Well, that's really cute. I remember when they changed the name to Jezebel. I thought, wow, huh, what a coincidence. We've got one of the highest LGBTQ populations. We've got, you know, massive human trafficking through Atlanta. Um, Some of the FBI reports have put us at the top, number one, because of the airports, the busiest airport in the world. And here you have this thing through our city that, and so I remember when that thing first came out that the city magazine called Jezebel and then the billboards, Jezebel, you see, you drive through our city and Jezebel, Jezebel, you're like, where am I right now? And, and all that was was that principality uh, trying to give expression to itself. Here I am. And so I just, I've said this a lot, but, I don't have to know. I don't even have to know anything about your city. All I have to do is drive around and look at the billboards, see the signs. And I can tell you what the sins, what the sins are that are being committed uh, in that city are, what the strongholds are. Um, And and to be truthful, I can tell you what the church is struggling with because there's no way that a um, demon can get that kind of ascendancy unless it's the church is in agreement with it. And I'll, in just a second but so uh, show me what's on your billboards and I'll show you what's in your pulpits and and that's just that's just how it is uh, because the, the the authorities they don't have authority unless the church grants it to them and, and, I'll, and I'll show you that in just a moment in the scripture but um, let me just touch these kingdom foundations because I want to show you what Paul's doing in this passage and I think it will be helpful for you in, in, in a day ahead as you're re-referring to this and I think it's cute. You know, back in the day, I remember when my kids were little, um, we got him a full armor of God set and we dressed them up as little soldiers and their little shield of faith, their little helmet of salvation, a little plastic outfit. It's just really cute. But that's not at all. Paul's not even thinking he's not thinking anybody is putting a helmet on. What he's doing is he's looking at this Roman soldiers going, each one of those things are important for certain reasons because they You see, each component of the armor, it fends off a certain component of an attack, right? So a swing at the head, well, the helmet fends that off. A swing at the chest, well, the shield and the breastplate fend that off. So what Paul is doing is he's giving us these kingdom foundations that offset standard attacks of the enemy, All right? So he goes... Take up the whole armor. So think, take up all, these are, the, these are central kingdom foundations you are going to do spiritual warfare. Take up the whole armor. These are the foundations. First, he says, gird your waist with truth and truth. We knows it, it does what it offsets lies. And so that's the point, right? Cause the enemy always lies. Uh, Jesus said, John 8, that he is the father of lies. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. It's the only thing he can speak. So he goes, gird your loins with truth. And I think that there's such a value to truth in every way, authentic lifestyles, being real with people, being honest, open, don't white lie. I think there's just huge value to that because the enemy is a deceiver and a liar. And that's what he does. But I think he's also speaking about the truth of the word of God here. He's speaking about the scripture. Get so gird up uh, around your belt or around your, your, your midsection. So alive with truth. It's going to offset lies. That's the point. So truth offsets lies. He goes, take the breastplate of righteousness, holy living. That's going to offset unrighteousness and temptations into wickedness. He goes, uh shod your feet with the gospel of peace uh and that's going to offset the and he's specifically speaking about the gospel of reconciliation the gospel of peace that unity john 17 jesus prayer for oneness ephesians 4 be diligent and preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace he he says i want you to have the gospel of peace this to offset division because he's talking about the way the enemy attacks through lies through wickedness and temptations and unrighteousness, through division. Show me where division is happening. I'll show you the activity of the enemy. Uh, He goes, and then the shield of faith, it quenches fiery darts. Well, what kind of fiery darts? The ones of unbelief, right? That's another way the enemy attacks. I know this is simple, but it's so profound. Deception unrighteousness, division, unbelief Gives he the helmet of salvation. And I think he's specifically talking here about this issue of condemnation and the liberty that we have in Christ, because he deals with that very directly in Ephesians uh, about being completely set free by grace, dealing with this issue of shame and condemnation, the helmet of salvation, the word, which is the sword, which is what Jesus used obviously when the devil came to him. And then he says, pray, and he says, pray always with all prayer, all manner of prayer, being watchful or alert and being perseverant. Pray always with alertness and perseverance. Now, Ephesus, this city, it has the temple, the ancient temple of Diana, Artemis. It's a, it's a big Jezebel temple. To big temple to this uh, this uh, ancient uh, Greek god Artemis or, or Diana of the Ephesians, and and if you remember when when Paul first went to Ephesus and he breaks through with revival in Ephesus, Ephesus Acts nineteen, when that thing begins to crack, when revival begins to break through. What happens in Ephesus is they bring all their books of magic arts and they, they bring them to the center and they burn them in front of everybody. They get rid of all this stuff that's really probably witchcraft stuff connected to this Diana, this Artemis. Now, here's what happens when uh, when that goes on. The guys that are making little Artemis idols. Little, little idolatry, little, you know, Artemis idols. Those guys' businesses start going down. And here's what happens. The whole city goes into an uproar. Now watch. When you get a breakthrough in the spirit, it doesn't mean peace. It usually means tumult. When Paul gets the breakthrough in Ephesus, the gospel is going forth with fire The worshipers are turning away from Artemis and turning towards Jesus and the demons now, because that principality has been cracked over over that city, what they're doing is now they're manifesting through people in a spirit of murder. And the whole city goes into a tumult. They go into the stadium in the Colosseum and they, listen, they chant for hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What is that? That's a prayer meeting. That is a demonic prayer meeting where the, the devil is trying to whip up a human agreement on the earth to regain its authority in the heavens. But what Paul has done is he's gone in with the proclamation of the gospel with prayer and fasting, and he's cracked that stronghold. Revival has begun to break out. So then Paul says, hey, I want to go in here and I want to, I want to address these guys. And they're like, no! If you go in there, they're going to kill you. And that's what happens when a stronghold falls. Strong falls, you have revival. I'm talking a principality over a city. You have revival breakthrough. You have tons of miracle signs, wonders, people getting saved, and you have massive persecution. Too often we we share it as when you get revival and man, everybody gets saved and glory to God. It's all good. No, no, no. What happens is. To get revival, you crack that heavens. When that heavens cracks, when that demon gets dethroned, when an angel takes that seat of authority and that demon gets kicked out of that seat of authority, that principality falls. Well, guess what he does? He now stirs up all the the demonic realm to release a counterattack. And that's exactly what you see. You see it when the Holy Spirit's poured out in the book of Acts in Jerusalem. And you see the scattering Um, until they have have to get all through Asia Minor, they're running because they're being put to death. You see it in Ephesus. And, And so you see it in Revelation chapter 12 at the end of the age. Every time that the principality is cracked over a region, revival breaks in and the enemy is stirred up to release persecution. And so my point is this, Ephesus was a major stronghold for this Jezebelian um, principality. And what Paul tells them is Ephesians one, because I'm praying that you'd have the revelation of Jesus. Ephesians three, goes I'm praying that you have the revelation of love. And then in four and five, he shows us how to walk out love. And then in six, he says, now, Here's how you're going to stand against that demon principality in your region. These foundations stay with them. Stay with truth. Stay, stay with righteous living. Stay with uh, uh, unity, the gospel of peace, reconciliation. Stay with that. Stay in faith, stay out of condemnation and pray all the time with all perseverance Pray with all manner of prayer, with all supplication. Be perseverant for all the saints and that the word of the Lord would break forth. And and it's powerful because they end up overturning one of the great ancient principalities, one of the great ancient strongholds in 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 the whole of Asia Minor. It's quite fascinating. So in some ways, the book of Ephesians is a a bit of a uh, roadmap to how to get a a breakthrough in a city, in a region. Now, um, I want to I want to show you this. Ephesians 6, verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There is one requirement to being strong in the Lord. And that requirement is that you cannot be strong in yourself. You have to. You have to be humble. To the place where you recognize that it's his strength and not yours. That's going to see this thing through. Now, what's interesting is this, when you look in the New Testament, somebody earlier already mentioned 2 Corinthians 10, but when you look at what I would consider um, the three of the four key uh, other passages on um, resisting the devil, they connect, those passages are connected to being humble. So you have this first one, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, which means you have to be humble. You can't be strong in the Lord and strong in yourself. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, he says in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. So to be strong in the Lord, you have to be in your own humility, in your own weakness. Well, James 4 It says this, God gives more grace, verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And there's the connection again, strong in the Lord. Here we go. Submitted to God, humble, and then you resist. Well, Peter said the same thing. So now we got Paul. James and Peter all saying the same thing. Here's what Peter says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. So he says here again, humble yourselves, cast your cares, be sober, be vigilant, and resist. Peter says, humble yourself. James says, humble yourself. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Again, that's humility. Uh, that's 2 Corinthians 10. He goes, we don't war according to the flesh. We war according to the spirit. That's, that's humility. And, and here's the point I want to make. In order for us to get ascendancy in spirit over demon authorities, it will never come by having some arrogant, railing, prideful, boastful kind of manner about you. That is not how it works. You cannot, you cannot stand in authority against something that you're actually in agreement with what do I mean by that the seminal sin of Satan is pride so Paul says humble yourself so that you can resist him you can't get in pride and then try to resist the one who is pride (laughs) you see how that works you actually have to humble yourself so humility becomes the critical key to spiritual warfare. And so that's just a huge point because so often I see believers and they're all, I'm going to bind the spirit of Antichrist and devil. You better come out. I'm coming after you. got no, I oh, got and, and they're just all muscled up in the flesh, basically. And, uh, all of the new Testament writers are all like, no, no, no. Humble yourself. Put yourself in the position of saying, God, I can't, I don't have anything without you. I am nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. It's what Jesus taught us. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself to the point of death, took on himself the, the, the label of a bondservant. Because don't look out for your own desires, but for the desires of others. And this brings me to this specific conclusion Most, this is going to sound completely crazy coming from the prayer guy. Most, and then just a minute, I want to just, I want to bounce this around just for a minute and I'm going to shift gears. So just be thinking about any kind of something that has now stuck out to you and we'll bounce it around for a few minutes and I'm going to shift gears to Daniel 10. But most spiritual warfare takes place when you're not praying. It takes place in how you live your life. If you're humbling yourself, if you're walking in meekness, if you're serving, if you're living in truth, authenticity, love, if you're saying no to unrighteousness, yes to righteousness. Most spiritual warfare takes place in the thousand choices you make every single month to resist the devil and if you look at the, these passages all these passages about resisting the devil have humility and how you walk out kingdom foundations in them not one of them has anything in it about speaking to the devil it's yes yeah, that, that big right there's just clapping for that word right there praise god It's just awesome. (laughs) It's just like right on time. How we live day in and day out determines the measure of authority we will have to resist the devil. Don't tell me, don't come in telling me how you bound the devil and you resisted him and you cast out the spirit of this and that and you broke the principality. And then when nobody's watching, you're bound with the very same thing that you say you're trying to buy. That is not reality. That is charismatic, fluff, and just pep rally stuff. We all cheer for it. You know, people, we, we cheer for everybody, that the loudest guy that prays with the most vigor. We cheer for that. But But what was emphasized was the guy that was the most humble, the most meek, the most given to truth, making the thousand choices for righteousness. See, that's the kingdom come in a heart. When you're walking out the values of the kingdom, they come in your heart. And then you can manifest those. You can manifest the values in the earth. See, the kingdom has to come in your heart, in your life before it can come in your city. And so that's how it, it plays out. And that's what the New Testament writers emphasized, walking out these things day in and day out. Last thought, and then I'd like to bounce this around just for a few minutes, and I want to shift gears to uh, Daniel 10. But when you look at the list, again, that Peter gives, he says, humble yourself. And now what he's going to do, he's going to give us, again, components to stand against. And stand in opposition to the way the enemy attacks. He goes, humble yourself. So that's opposition to pride. Cast your cares. That's opposition to worry. Says be sober. That's in opposition to being frivolous. He says be vigilant. That's in opposition to apathy. And then resist him. And he says with steadfastness steadfastness and that's about perseverance it's the exact same thing that paul gave us praying with perseverance resisting with perseverance and and peter even gives us this point and peter's the one that gives us the 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 theology of suffering He, he says resist him even through suffering knowing that these things are experienced by all of your brothers in all the parts of the earth all right so what i'm wanting to emphasize at this moment is for us to get authority to stand in the authority that we've been given i should say in the cross we have to have a a walk a lifestyle that looks like the 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 lifestyle that jesus called us to and that's where we are humbled submitted to god and then in from that place able to resist the enemy and so um let's just take a moment and uh just bat this around for a minute. Any thoughts that occur to you areas that need to be, um, maybe shored up or questions on how does that apply or an application that you can immediately see for your life or for maybe, uh, you guys, um, house church community. Yeah. Just unmute yourself and start talking.
1: Yeah. So, um, a couple months ago, um, Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night and put um, Romans 1-2 on my heart. And I I know that scripture, but I went back into bed and I decided to look it up in many different translations before. But um, the one that I felt like was really important was where it says, um, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And before, if I would have read that scripture, I would have been like, oh, well, I'm not conforming to the patterns of this world. I'm not doing drugs and like cheating on my husband, not conforming to things. But as I was praying about what that looks like in my life, I realized that um, social media, media, Netflix, like just the conformity that I've voluntarily put myself in over the last several years has really like separated me from the knowledge of God and like how I'm operating for the kingdom and how I'm actually not operating for the kingdom. And so, um, Ian and I committed to really cut out a lot of media, particularly like Netflix things we were just binging on over and over. And we've noticed such a huge difference just in like, just I would say in our spiritual growth, because we've, we've silenced that like the invitation to just be kind of, I don't know, bombarded by different messaging and, um, Distracted. Yeah. Distracted. And anyway, this is, this kind of sounds hypocritical, but the other night we decided to watch the social dilemma, um, which is a documentary and it's fascinating. I would encourage you to watch it if you haven't, but that really kind of solidified certain things, even socially how we were like, how the media has like such a stronghold and really is doing what you mentioned, like the division, um, the absence of truth, like people don't know what's true and what's not anymore. And people are just, we're just, I don't know, like destabilizing what's going on in the government because of our own thought processes of what we believe is true and what isn't true. And it's, yeah. So I would just say, like, that's something in our lives that we've been committed to really trying to cut out altogether and not, um, like, be actively watching it as, as often anymore. So that's just mm.
0: one. I it's not like there's like a distraction Yeah, like know, from life.
1: Because before I would be like, I just want to watch a show instead of like engaging with my husband or having like a spiritual conversation with someone in my life. But now it's like, no, I want to do that instead. So it's just something. I don't know if that that's super
0: be. helpful. Yeah, no, no. It's super helpful because it's super practical. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't monitor that stuff, we don't realize how often those things are a legitimate distraction from what's actually important yeah. and it's so it's so accepted as normative in culture yeah. that we don't even realize and, and until and all of our opinions are being formed by social media all of our like all of our like desires are being fulfilled by like watching things on televisions and it's just it's just really a a, a weird way to live and like what you guys said is it, if you turn that stuff down it's a then that, that mean you can never watch a movie again right yeah. If you turn that stuff way down, then then your soul, the traffic in your soul, is far less. Yeah, so and it much says, less.
1: It says in that scripture, "Do not conform any longer to the patterns in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, renewing mind, your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's perfect." And pleasing will is for your life. And I realized that when we started to turn that way down, we were able like that transforming of our mind, we were able to test and approve what God's will was for us and not what we were willing to do on our own. Like we were just willing to binge on television or music. Super. So because it's just it's, been it's like games and circuses. Like the Romans, the especially the more the more oppressive. Uh, the rulers were in Rome, the more games and circuses they would throw to try and appease right. people that they are oppressing. Distract them. And so those distractions, and the irony is, is because they were throwing more games, they're having to tax more. And so it just led to more and more oppression.
0: Um, but yeah, I think that's a huge tool yeah. that's used. So good. Someone else thought, anything that uh, is an application for you or something that you felt like you heard there, that was something good. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I'm just going to go. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Thank you. There's so much. through, and, and I want to go back and listen again, but one thing in particular um, that you talked about, you know, you say that's, that stirred something up in me was, you know, so much 90% of, of just living our life. Is warfare how we live our life? Is, is yes. warfare. It's prayerfully in the other part? Um, and you might talk about this coming up, so if this is preemptive, sorry, you don't have to answer it no, right now. Good. But, um, I'm curious about this about the regional strongholds, how to effectively pray again into to break regional strongholds because that's you know, we just moved here a year ago. The minute we landed, I felt such a shift that like we were in LA, so I like there was a lot of a cult and a lot of you know the strongholds there, very different than here. And so we started praying right away, but as you know, as a married couple, as a community, what are some you know, I know worship and I know gathering and I know, but how we as communities and grow our communities and serve our communities. But if there's anything you have to share about. Or regions against the strongholds that exist—that would be super helpful.
0: Yeah, so good. I think the key is you have to be out of agreement with whatever those strongholds are, mm-hmm. and so that they're—they're they're not. You're not practicing what those things are binding people with. And so then, when you're out of agreement with them, and you're walking in liberty from them, then in the place of a, your actions, you can. It's, it's not just that you're not doing that, but you're actually setting a different testimony. You're, you're putting a different spiritual momentum in place. And then your intercession, it becomes like a sledgehammer. Like To me, you can't even get to where you're swinging the bat in intercession if you're, you know, in, if you're bound by the very thing that you're trying to, to fight against. So I think once you're out of agreement with those things, you're repentant, clean, just living clear. And then, um, then you're operating in opposite spirits. So, I mean, in, in the issue of like in our city for the issue of racism, a, it's not just enough to say, "Hey, racism's bad." We actually have to like develop lifestyles that show that we value people from every culture, and that we that we think that of this of, with the same honor and dignity of. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and then that's evidenced in an intentional way in our church gatherings, in our leadership circles, in um, you know our friend groups, in who we have in our homes. Simple things for the church to do to like offset racism. It's like, dude, when was the last time you had a, a person from a different culture in your house? <laughs> like just forming relationships that break those cultural divisions. And then having legitimate heart level conversations—that's warfare. That's warfare. So then, when I'm speaking in the in the place of prayer, now I've got authority in this thing. Like I don't have any. You know, you can be a you can be a um, a professional about something, and you've never been a practitioner. You know, like and, and if you're if you're a college professor, God bless you. But a lot of times, you have college professors—they know all about a subject, but they've actually never done the subject. And it's just. That's just not okay. In spiritual warfare, we actually have to stand against the thing by actually living a life that's in opposition to that principality. So if it's Jezebel, then, buddy, you better be clear of sexual immorality. You know what I'm saying? You, you better really be clear of that thing, and, and you better be rightly aligned with good authority in your life and, and submitted properly. Because what we see with Jezebel is this witchcrafty sexuality rebellious thing right so there's got to be a way that you you operate in opposition to it then when you speak against it you have authority then when you fast and you pray you have authority and i would just say fasting regularly puts you in that place of, of being able to step into ascendancy over it in your life and how you live and puts you in a place of authority when you when you um when you pray you know just that a day in a day a day out of fasting but but none of this works if you're arrogant. <laughs> it's just it just cannot work. Because you you know, if you're submitted to God, you can't you will have to be humbled. That's just the bottom bottom line. So that's that's some kind of just one, two practicals, but it, it really does take a little bit of a specific application in terms of whatever it is you feel like you're you're having to stand against. Yeah. One other person and then yeah, okay. And then I'll um, hit Daniel 10 for a few minutes.
2: Hi. Hi. Um, (laughs) So I think for some of us in our community, the word stronghold just in general can be an intimidating word. And so biblically, is there a a place you can kind of direct us to um, see where these strongholds that we're talking about are so that um, I think part of, maybe our problem is even being able to identify it with confidence and then sure. from that place, being able to then um, go to the place of prayer. But yeah.
0: so Sure. Yeah. Second Corinthians 10, three through six. That's going to be your main passage that talks about strongholds and, and here's what Paul describes them as. Well, I'll just read it. It says Though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or in the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, now pay attention to what he says right here, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so what he's describing is thought patterns that are in opposition to the knowledge of God, that then manifest themselves in our life as behavioral patterns. And so when we see repetitive sin issues in people, that's likely because there's a stronghold there. And that stronghold is based on something that they believe that's false about God. And I would just say this, every attack of the enemy is an attack against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 3, right there, 7 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, it says it so clearly that we cast down imaginations that are exalted against the knowledge of God, the way we think about God. So uh, A.W. Tozer, he said this, that the most important thing about you is what you think about God, (laughs) which is so, so true. Because how you think about God then determines how you act towards God, towards yourself, and towards others. And so, when when our our image of God is perverted in our minds, then we we handle our we we interact towards God in a perverted way, towards ourselves in a perverted way, and towards others in a perverted way. And when we see patterns and behaviors that then go with those perverted mindsets, those patterns are sin. And then when they're repetitive, that stronghold, that thing is an encampment. That's really what that means, like a stronghold, like a like an armory or like a um, you might see like an old castle built up on a hill. It's because you've just created this pattern that's now fortified itself in your thoughts and in your actions. And all of that is broken through it. We have authority over it through the power of the blood of Jesus and through truth that displays lies about what we believed about God requires humility, repentance and truth. To get clear of that stuff. Is that helpful at
2: all? Yeah, super helpful. Thank you.
0: Awesome. How are we doing on time, guys? we got 534. Are we okay? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to head over to Daniel 10. Let's just flip over there real quick. So Daniel 10 is like one of the coolest chapters on spiritual warfare in the Bible. If not the coolest, because what you have is you get to see the collision that's happening in the spirit when uh, someone gives himself to prayer and fasting. Okay, so um, we've got enough time. Let me just let me just read this. Okay, let me just read this and just look at it with me. If you got your device, Uh, Daniel ten. so uh, Daniel, he says this, he says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So Daniel's in Babylon, but the Persians have taken over. The Medo-Persian empire has taken over Babylon. So he's there, and it's his third year since they've taken over. And he says, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. That was his, his Babylonian name. So it says, the message was true, but the appointed time was long. It was, in other words, it was going to be fulfilled in a time that was far in the future. And he understood the message and had to understand the vision. Okay, here it is. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. That morning is fasting and prayer. That's what that is. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. I didn't put any hair gel in, no hair gel. Can do a Daniel fast just to be clear. <laughs> no showers. That's a rough Daniel fast right there. If you actually do the no shower for three weeks, praise God. Till three whole weeks were fulfilled. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. In other words, this guy's got gold all over his waist. His body was like barrel. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like torches of fire. His arm and his feet like burnished bronze. In color and the the sound of his words uh like the voice of a multitude now if you look at jesus in revelation 1 you're going to find out this angel looks a lot like jesus but it's not this is likely gabriel he's a messenger angel he's going to bring a message also i just re- just for those of you guys want to look at this later check out um revelation 10 you got an angel that shows up there and Talks to John and they're very similar. Okay, I Daniel alone saw the vision. For the men uh, who were with me, did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them. So D- daniel's seeing this thing, but they're feeling the fear of the Lord, the, and they're feeling it's so intense. This angel, this dynamic, glorious angel, shows up. Uh, Gabriel, likely. It's so intense. The fear of the Lord falls on the guys that are around him, and they they run. So they fled to hide themselves. I was therefore left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned into frailty and I retained no strength. So he falls down. I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. He falls forward and suddenly a hand touched me with which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And this is so intense. What happens in is so intense. The angel hits him. The friends run, the fear of the Lord. It takes Daniel's strength. He falls out. The, guy t- the angel touches him, and Daniel's able to get onto his, his knees. In a minute, D- Daniel's going to say, look, I can't function. Can you help me? Because he's shaking, and the guy touches him again. He's able to stand up. So Daniel's having the encounter of a lifetime, okay? He says, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, and this is always how the Lord talks to us. He goes, hey, you are so loved. I love you so much. You're so cute. Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright. For, for now I've been sent to you. While you're speaking to me, I stood trembling. So he was on his knees and now he stands up. Then he says, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself. There it is again, guys. Humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come. Come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there alone with the kings of Persia. It wasn't just one principality. It was a principality with some other demons. And they're all fighting against Gabriel. This is Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the, rev- the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he spoke in such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. So the power that's coming off this angel is messing Daniel up, (laughs) and he can't function. And suddenly, one, having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Now we got another one in the picture. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have no strength. How can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, and there's no breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of the man, he touched me and strengthened me. So they've got to like minister to Daniel just to be able to get him to even hear this, so he can stand and even hear this thing. He says, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he says, uh, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. This is so interesting. The scripture of truth. And he says, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. The scripture of truth is not talking about the Bible. The scripture of truth is talking about the books that the Lord has that are written with the details. You know, uh, Psalm 139 says God's written every day has for you in his book. And I mean, there's there's about four to six verses in the Old Testament talking about the book of the Lord, the things that God writes in his own book. And when you look at what the commentators say about this, verse 21, it's a, he says, I'm going to tell you what's noted in the in the book, the, the book of truth and the scripture of truth, the things that God has written about what will happen. And so here's what this angel gives him. He's going to give Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12, which is a, an incredible long prophecy that goes from the very next kingdom in Babylon all the way through to the end of the age. Now, here's the point. Daniel's fasting and praying for 21 days. And while he's fasting and praying and asking God for breakthrough for Israel, God sends Gabriel to come to give Daniel this word, this powerful prophetic word, which is we see it in chapter 11, chapter 12. And when Gabriel is on the way, the prince, the principality, the demon principality that is assigned to govern the nation of Persia. I remember the Persians had just moved into Babylon. There is a demon principality that's over that demonized king. That demon principality begins to offset and fight against Gabriel. And Daniel stays with it. And now the angel said, he goes, I came the first day you began to pray, but the battle goes on 21 days, guys. Now, can you imagine this? There's an angelic fight going on in the heavens for three straight weeks while Daniel isn't taking showers, isn't eating meat and isn't doing any pleasant food because he's fasting and praying. Now, We don't know that Daniel felt anything on his side. He probably felt like he needed a shower and like he needed to eat in the heavens. Michael is fighting the Prince of Persia. And it's not just the Prince of Persia. He actually says there's other Kings that, that um, that word in Aramaic is czars. There's, there's these other demonic authorities. So then, Gabriel's fighting those guys. So then Michael has to come now. God releases Michael to come to help Gabriel, likely Gabriel doesn't say it, but I think it is because he's the messenger. And finally he gets the breakthrough. Now in, in chapter 12, we find that Michael is the prince over Israel. He's, he, in Daniel 12, Michael is called the prince over Israel. So you get the prince over Israel fighting the prince over Persia along with Gabriel and along with these other demon powers. And all that's happening. Why? Cause Daniel decided he was going to fast and pray for 21 days. This right here will make you want to fast and pray. And so when we fast and pray, authorities are dispatched and released And what he does is he says, I came because of your words. And it was the prayers that Daniel was praying that he wasn't pulling off of. And I want to speak about that in just a moment. That was enabling this angel to come and to do battle in the heavenlies. And what you have is two archangels against a variety of angel, a a demon angel, demonic princes and kings. And the two uh, archangels, they get ascendancy and they win. They come through and they come because of Daniel's prayers and his fastings. And this is what I want to tell you. So often in prayer, we pray. And have you ever, I mean, I've been to a million meetings. We've been doing 24-7, almost 15 years. So I've been to a million prayer meetings and 90% of them, 95% of them, I feel nothing. I don't feel anything. I, I, I love the Lord and he loves me and I, I love being there cause I love him. But not, I mean, I, I mean, it's most of the time it's like, I just love you, Lord. I don't feel like, wow, there's fire on me. I just feel normal, but I love him and he loves me. And that's why I, I just anchor that man greatly beloved. But I, I, 95% of the time I feel nothing. And so the temptation is when you pray and you feel nothing and you've been praying a long time and you feel nothing you, the temptation is to say, well, that must not have mattered. It must not have counted. What if Daniel got to day 20 and went, man, I've been not eating, not showering, no whatever, 20 days straight, and this must not have counted. What if he would have pulled his words down after 20 days in? What, what, what would have happened in the heavenlies? And so, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is this. The perseverance of prayer, persevering in prayer, is what gives you ascendancy when your life is lined up and and, and you're you're out of a th- you're out of agreement with demonic authority and you're in agreement with angelic authority. Persevering in prayer with fasting, listen, it moves angels and demons. All of you guys can move angels and demons over your cities to do battle in the heavenlies and to release breakthroughs in your regions. And in Daniel's case, the the breakthrough ends up ultimately getting Israel delivered out of Babylon. And it gives unprecedented revelation of the days to come and the age, uh, the end of the age. And that's what happens is that perseverance in prayer with fasting, you stay with it. You don't pull your words off of it. You stay with it. You stay in faith. So, you know, we're praying in faith. It's so easy to walk in and go, I don't know if that really mattered. It totally matters. Don't don't say it didn't matter. Let's just stay with it. It mattered. He heard. God hears. His ears are attended to the prayers of the righteous. His eye is on you. It matters. It doesn't matter if you feel anything. It matters. And so stay with it. Persevere over time. And I'm telling you, The angels are moving at your words and the breakthrough is coming. And so this is what's going on in the spirit when we fast and pray. So I can't, I can't emphasize to you enough how important it is to be a fasting and praying people living lives of meekness and humility and walking out kingdom righteousness this is just the stuff that spiritual warfare is made of, and, and just staying with it over the long haul, just persevering over the long haul. And it's in that place of perseverance, God will give you strategy. He'll give you, in, He'll give you um, insight. Um, like the sister mentioned, we you know, as soon as we moved in, we kind of saw something in the spirit. Saw this was like a bad situation. He'll show you those things to stand against. And and, and the key though is stay with it over the long haul. Stay with it over time. We have the best king with the best promises with the best greatest anointing. We have the greatest story, the greatest grace. The victory is sure, the victory is ours. This is our portion. Just stay with it and we're going to see breakthroughs. So, I think I'll just I'll just land there. We'll just land the plane right there. <laughs> And do whatever. I mean, we can pray or do whatever. You guys tell me what you want to do.
2: Yeah, that was awesome. And you know what's really cool? We actually, um, each week we study the Bible as a church. And the scripture we chose for this week was Ephesians 6. Um, 6 Let's hours. go. Yeah, so we actually like chose that. And I didn't know if you would even talk about it.
0: Come so, on. It's
2: just, like so cool how the Holy Spirit works like that. Yeah.
0: You know, Billy, you were talking about something, the A.W. Tozer quote.
2: Mm. what you think about God. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm curious, I would love to maybe, if you could lead us in a prayer around that. Because I think it's a thing, because it it seems to be kind of a benchmark pillar. And I I think it's just to be a really cool thing as we embark into a greater level of revelation that you kind of unpack about how to proceed at a higher level of authority for prayer and intercession in all of our cities. I think there's like a big macro thing that we can look at, like all the cities we're in, us, the church, the nation, But then I think it's like those micro, smaller levels where it's like, all right, what do we need to actually go after? And how can we be as prepared and ready to do that? So it's something around that. I think would be really, really
2: cool. That'd be great for you to pray. Yeah. And anything else that you're feeling to pray
0: or or prophetically
2: what you want to speak, you know, you can take maybe a couple minutes. And if you want to share anything to that end also.
0: Sure. Yes. So A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, Knowledge of the Holy, I would really encourage you guys to read the book. It's a game changer book. And he says in that book, um, the man that comes to a right revelation of God is alleviated of 10,000 lesser issues. It's just so powerful because it's about knowing him. Everything is about knowing him. And, and the way we perceive God, it, it determines so much about us. So, yeah, let's let's pray into that. And then that's the Ephesians 1 prayer, really. That's what Paul, that's what he said. I pray for the Ephesians church. He goes, I, you know, I, I, I pray that you would um, have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So let's just do that right now. Let's just pray. Lord, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him high above all principalities and powers, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the ages to come. And so, Lord, I'm asking, would you release the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? that we would see the son of God. We'd see the beautiful one. We'd see the eyes of fire, the face that shines like the sun in his strength, that our hearts would burn just like the the, uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. Our hearts would burn with revelation of him. And Lord, I'm asking for a great yearning and a great desire to fill us, to fill each of us, to know this man, to know Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that we would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, your only Son. So open the eyes of our heart. Break in with light. And, Lord, where we've thought of you wrongly, we've thought of Jesus wrongly, I pray, reveal that to us. Where we have um, had our our minds perverted and and lied to uh, from the simplicity of the devotion to Christ, I ask God, open the eyes of our sin. Let us see where we've thought of you in a way that's inferior of you. And so, Lord, I pray, break upon the entire revived community. Break upon them with light. Break in with light. Break in with revelation. Where there is light, darkness flees. Break in with light right now. Let the light of your face shine forth. Your face shines like the sun in strength. Shine forth. Shine forth. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. Make every one of these house churches a burning and shining lamp. Burning in intimacy shining in a witness of the gospel in their region, burning with the knowledge of God and shining forth at the glory of the Lord in their region. We give
2: you thanks, Jesus.